2: Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On, Bills. Make sure that you check out the Locked On NBA Live Draft show, where NBA Draft GOAT, Chad Ford, Locked On NBA Draft host, Rafael Barlow, and Locked On NBA host, John Corrales, will be live this year covering the NBA Draft. It's Locked On NBA Draft 2021, brought to you by Built Bar get local expert analysis on each pick and follow locked on NBA on YouTube today and watch our live coverage on July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Happy Wednesday to you it's time for herd mentality the episode each week where you take control of our discussion by sending in Buffalo Bill's comments questions takes whatever you have and I respond to them here on the podcast so a lot of great stuff to get into today let's get started. The first one today comes from Mark, who says, just finish your episode on assessing the Bills competition in the AFC. Great stuff. In thinking about the top teams, you brought up an interesting point. After the Chiefs, I think it's safe to say the Browns, Ravens, Titans, and Colts are the best competition. They are all teams that either run first or more run heavy than the rest of the NFL. But it seems like the Bills and much of the NFL are moving towards a pass-heavy system. What do you make of this? Is this part of the reason why, while they have been good, these teams have not been able to break through? You know, Mark, this is a good question, and it's something that I think is very real. Talked about this a couple times recently on the pod where some of the biggest competitors for the Bills in the AFC, they are teams that can really run the football. Ravens, Browns, Titans, Colts, young dynamic running backs, physical offensive lines. You know, look at what the Patriots are building as well. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. And the reason I think it exists is because it's easier to build a high powered rushing offense than a passing offense. It's easier to assemble a physical offensive line and find a running back. It's hard to find a quarterback. It's hard to find a quarterback that is an absolute difference maker that can orchestrate and facilitate a pass-heavy offense, and it's difficult to find wide receivers. I mean, look at the bust rate of wide receivers compared to running backs. It's very different. So I think this comes down to supply and demand when it comes to elite quarterbacks and the overall ease of building an offense that is designed to be anchored by a rushing attack. Drew says, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast about the individual position groups. And I wanted to ask about the interaction between different position groups. In particular, I understand that our pass rush was good at generating pressures, but bad at generating sacks. I also understand that our secondary tries to keep things in front of them and limit big plays. I'd like to know if those two are related. Does the bill's coverage scheme allow opposing receivers to uncover quickly for short throws, encouraging the quarterback to throw quick passes before our rush can get there? If so, would it be better to play more aggressive coverage early in the down, allowing our rushers more time to get to the quarterback while relying on Micah Hyde to limit big plays? So I think you have a really good point you bring up here, Drew, and you hear Sean McDermott in his press conferences talk about marrying the pass rush in the coverage and how those things have to be in sync. And I do think you make a good point that the style of defense is a factor in why the Bills' haven't necessarily generated a high volume of sacks to go with a high volume of pressure. And if the Bills did run a more aggressive press man coverage that puts the corners on the line of scrimmage and you know they try to create jams and really disrupt the timing of routes, it could lead to more sacks, but you're also exposing yourself to some issues where if you whiff and press coverage and there's no help over top, you're going to give up big plays. So it's a give-take relationship. But I will say that the zone coverage and the leverage and the spacing of the coverage concepts that the Bills run are designed to cap routes and take things off the menu. So while you're not necessarily on the line of scrimmage and being disruptive with your hands and trying to throw off the timing of routes at the line, the leverage of the coverage and where you can go and anticipate throws going and where you can space defenders, it does have the same type of effect where the quarterback isn't able to just get the ball out as quick. And so it's designed to force you into throws that are more difficult to complete. So I do think that there are dynamics that exist with a softer zone coverage, if you will, that can help create more time for the pass rushers to get home. So it's not exactly like this Baltimore Ravens-type defense where you see a ton of press coverage, man coverage, and aggressive pass rush, but in its own unique way in terms of spacing and leverage and anticipation, they create the same effect. So it's a good talking point. I think it's relevant. But I think it goes back to that point that Sean McDermott makes all the time about marrying the pass rush to the coverage. Martin says, Joe, I recently thought of how I was just getting into podcasts during the later portion of 2018. Fast forward a few months and I distinctly remember, is this thing on? Because it's about to be. What an entrance. As a listener from day one, your thoughts, analysis, and opinions have been top tier in my opinion as your pod remains at my number one most listened to podcast since 2019. So Martin has some fun questions building off of my podcasting journey here on Locked on Bills. And so first of all, Martin, thank you for your kind words and all your support on the podcast. And so I'll dig into these questions one by one. The first one is, looking back, are there specific topics that you didn't like to talk about? Yes, a few things come to mind, but first and foremost, having to produce podcasts that reflect on two playoff losses, the one to the Houston Texans and, of course, last year to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And it's not easy. The losses hurt me just like they do you. And coming up with the words and coming up with the tone and messaging that I think is appropriate to reach a group of fans that are hurting It's not easy, and it's pretty stressful to think about how you're going to deliver that information. And so I remember distinctly after both of those losses and obviously being disappointed, having to get my mind right to come up with what I wanted to say on this podcast, and you don't have a lot of time to transition. And so you got to put the loss behind you as a fan very quickly and figure out how you are going to connect and reach the people that rely on you to deliver a podcast. And so um, every loss is difficult to respond to, but I will say the conversations that we have after a loss are much more important than the ones that we have after a win. And I've talked about this several different times when the bills win and it's a victory Monday, everybody listens. The numbers are great. When the bills lose a game and it's not a victory Monday, Listenership drops off considerably. I would say 25 to 35% any week I will lose audience because I'm guessing people just don't have the stomach to come back in and talk about losses. But folks, those are the most important conversations we can have on this podcast. So don't do that this year. Come on back on that Monday and let's have a conversation about it and reflect on the why and uh, have good discussions and have a complete understanding of the team. I would say a couple other things that come to mind on stuff that I didn't like to talk about. The Sean McDermott lacks a killer instinct narrative drove me absolutely nuts for however long that existed. Um, This expectation that the bills were supposed to mop the floor with every opponent they have, which wound up happening like the last half of the season last year. But for a while there in 2019 and in the early stages of 2020, that was a tough narrative to have to deal with and I didn't buy into it at all and you try to find that delicate balance of hey I really respect and appreciate your question but I just don't understand where you're coming from and trying to give data and information that is helpful and I I didn't enjoy that. And then I'll I'll say all the off the field stuff is always uncomfortable to me. You know, I like talking about football and football players and how they affect football games and roster construction. But whenever it's Cole Beasley tweeting or whatever could possibly be going on. You know, Ed Oliver has an off the field incident, you know, that wound up being a bunch to do about nothing, but those types of things I do not enjoy talking about, but I know I have to. And so that's definitely on the list of stuff that I don't like talking about. Martin continues. He says, was there ever a preferred topic you love discussing so much that you wish you had more time out of the week to share your thoughts about it? You know, a couple of things come to mind here. Uh, first of all, I will say in season, I wish that I had more time to share my film notes. You know, I, by the time the All-22 film comes out on Monday night or Tuesday and I watch it, there's just no time to really do a podcast about my All-22 reflections because by the time that happens, we're on to the next opponent. And so I just wish I had an extra day every week to incorporate an All-22 review podcast episode the other thing is i wish i had more time for guests during the season i know we do our crossover podcast every week and we have uh, dr kyle trimble on to talk about the injuries but you know i'd love to get greg and bruce and anthony marino and joe miller and all those guys on this podcast you know so many other good ones that i'm sure i'm not mentioning right now but all the guests that i like to talk bill's football with you know the the in-season schedule just doesn't open up those opportunities outside of the bye week to get some other voices on the podcast. So those are some things that I would mention in terms of stuff. I just wish I had more time during the week to share thoughts on and cover. Then Martin says, what about this year? Is there anything you wish you could cover more so than you already do? I'll be honest with you. The summer content plan. I had, A ton that I didn't get to. I had nine different show concepts that got backburnered because I just ran out of time. And so maybe if there's slow days during training camp, we can get back to some of that. But um, just there's so much to talk about with this team and even five days a week, I can't find time to fit it all in. And then I also wanted to do more podcast episodes like I did for the Levi Wallace pod where we really did a deep dive into him as a player and got inside the numbers and talked about his role and what he is and what he isn't. And the feedback on that was so good. I wish I did more of that. I wish I did one for Tremaine Edmonds. I wish I did one for Ed Oliver, maybe even Cody Ford. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about Dawson Knox, but he's another player. You know, like those controversial type players within the Bills community, those are the ones that I wish I did more player-specific episode, deep dive type stuff on. So that definitely comes to mind. And lastly, Martin says, I just wanted to say I couldn't imagine not listening to your pod five times a week. Thank you for all the hard work you put into your craft. You kill it day in and day out. Dude, thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that you find value in the podcast. I love doing it. And um, like you mentioned, I started this thing back in 2019. The first episode of Locked On Bills that I was the host for, Dropped on January 8th, 2019, and this right here, this episode that you're listening to right now is the 634th episode since then. And I'll tell you what, I love it. I could not imagine this podcast not being part of what I do on a daily basis and as part of my uh, you know, professional portfolio. Maccabee says I was a big Dean Marlowe fan he seemed to be around the ball anytime he was on the field most notably his fumble recovery against the Patriots that helped seal the win you've also mentioned how he was a stalwart on special teams and played a high percentage of those snaps his leadership ability to play special teams and knack to make plays made him a great depth player in my opinion. It was disheartening to see him sign a one-year deal worth roughly $1.12 million with the Lions, especially considering it was cheaper than the $1.43 million we paid him just a year prior. Outside of Andre Roberts, I think he was the biggest free agent loss we had. Help me feel better about his absence. I have hope that DeMar Hamlin can fill his role, but that seems like a lot to expect out of a sixth-round rookie. So my question is, what are the realistic expectations for DeMar Hamlin, do you think he can become the next man up this season for the safety group or will that role belong to Jaquan Johnson? Are there any other in-house or free agent options that can fill the shoes now left by Dean Marlowe? Listen, I I agree with you that outside of Andre Roberts, the biggest loss that this team had in free agency was Dean Marlowe, And you mentioned the financial implications and – I don't think it was so much about the money for Dean Marlowe as it was an opportunity to play. I know he's going to the Detroit Lions. It's not going to be a good football team. They're probably going to be picking in the top three of the draft, but Marlowe was probably looking for an opportunity to play. I mean, this guy's been a reserve safety for Sean McDermott since 2014, and he knows that that opportunity is always going to be there for him. But with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde locked up for the next couple of seasons, There wasn't a course to the field outside of an injury for Dean Marlowe to really play and earn a starting role and turn that into a bigger contract. So my guess is that it came down to opportunity for Dean Marlowe and he wants to be a starter. And so I hope he gets a chance to do that in Detroit because it wasn't going to happen in Buffalo. So as for DeMar Hamlin and reasonable expectations for him, this is what I said in the summary of my scouting report on Hamlin. I said a four-year starter at Pittsburgh, DeMar Hamlin, enters the NFL with significant experience under his belt. As Hamlin's career progressed, his role in the secondary continued to expand with plenty of opportunities to function as a deep safety in the box and from the slot. His ability to operate in a variety of roles while bringing a balanced skill set as a run-and-pass defender makes Hamlin an appealing prospect. Hamlin is a smart processor, is always around the football, is enthusiastic as a tackler, has good ball skills, and has good coverage awareness. In so many ways, Hamlin has proven to be reliable and consistent as a college defender, but his skill set across the board is ordinary and his frame is lean. Lacking any standout traits, Hamlin is boringly consistent across the board. While I don't foresee Hamlin becoming an impact playmaker in the NFL, he can be viewed as a developmental starter that brings depth to a number of spots in the secondary. So I do think that his upside is to become Dean Marlowe 2.0. Like I think that's a good trajectory. The problem is he's a rookie. And Dean Marlowe was with Sean McDermott since like 2014. So you cannot replace that time in the system and experience right away. It's definitely something to be mindful of this season, is the Bills really lack when it comes to experienced safety depth bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online get all the latest news odds and info for all your sporting needs including mlb nba nhl and the ufc before the next pitch head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news sign up bonuses and contest information don't sit on the sidelines anymore this is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
2: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: The next one today comes from Alex who says, Stephen Nelson signed for $4 million on a one-year contract. Do you feel that Brandon Bean at times digs his heels in when he should be looking elsewhere? I'm still mad about keeping Trent Murphy around last year. Here's the thing about this entire situation as it relates to Stephen Nelson. I wanted the Bills to sign Stephen Nelson just like so many people did. The reality is Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are not concerned about CB2 like we are. They are very satisfied with Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. So we can want all day long for the Bills to upgrade there or add a veteran or whatever, but they like what they have. And so for while it may seem silly to us for them to not give him a comparable deal, they probably think it's silly to sign him at all when they're happy with what they have. So time will tell who's right, but clearly they didn't value Nelson the way we do or else he'd be a bill. And that is a signal that they're happy with Wallace and Jackson and all of the messaging that they've delivered about those two players has been extremely positive. The next one today comes from Tyler, and Tyler has three hot takes that he wants my opinion on. Number one, I have zero confidence level in any other team to win the AFC East. I think the Dolphins finish second, but I am not a Tua believer. Well, I certainly think the Bills are the favorites to win the AFC East. And I've honestly not seen anyone predict a team other than the Bills to win the East this year. However, I don't know that I share in the zero confidence level that any other team can win the East. I certainly don't give the Jets much of a chance, but I'm not quick to say there's no chance that Miami or New England can do it. I think it's highly unlikely. I expect the Bills to win the division, but there are avenues available for Miami or New England to make some noise and complicate things, although I don't expect that to happen. Number two from Tyler is, by the end of the year, Zach Wilson will be the second best quarterback in the division. I think that's probably true. And then lastly from Tyler, he says, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield will hold their teams back from ever being top-tier Super Bowl favorites. I think it's fair to say that both quarterbacks have some limitations that are challenges for their teams, and they are reliant on other factors more so than a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, you know, those types of quarterbacks. But I think they can win the Super Bowl. So while I can understand where you're coming from in terms of them being part of the reason why they may never be a top-tier Super Bowl favorite, I think they can win a Super Bowl. And those teams have built very well around them that give them a real chance. Tony says, could you explain what you mean when you use the word leverage when talking about receivers? Example, the receiver knows how to get leverage on the defensive back. I understand the word used in the context of linemen getting leverage on the opponent, but not so much a receiver. So Tony, appreciate this question. And um, I always encourage you guys, if there are football terms that I use a lot on this podcast and you're not connecting with what I'm saying, please let me know because, number one, you're probably not the only one that has that same question or lack of clarity. And secondly, every time that I get into these types of football conversations or football term conversations, people give me a lot of great feedback and say, hey, thanks for explaining that. I really enjoyed it. So if you have something, let me know. And so let's talk about leverage as it relates to a – wide receiver on a defensive back. And so what I mean by that is creating a situation where you as the receiver are able to put yourself between the quarterback and the coverage. And so that is what routes are designed to do. Create separation by distancing yourself from the coverage and giving that quarterback an opportunity to make a throw. And so when you are leveraged, you are in that position, meaning that the defensive back has to go through you to make a play on the football. So that is what route running is all about. It's about being able to create leverage from the coverage so that you're available for the quarterback and Maybe it's helpful to discuss things the other way around. Where if you're a cornerback, I talk about how you can cap routes or you could take throws off the menu. And what I mean by that is you don't allow that leverage. You shut down that route. You shut down that route break and don't enable that receiver to establish the leverage to complete a throw. The job of a quarterback is to find leveraged receivers and put the football in a spot where they can go catch it. So that is what I mean by leverage. Alex says, I don't know how you find time to do all the things you do. I was wondering, of all the college player scouting and grading that you do, do you ever evaluate the players once they become pros? For instance, you graded a player very high on a number of attributes, but once that player becomes a pro, those attributes didn't translate to the NFL, and you realized you were way off. Do you use these types of learning tools to recalibrate your evaluation process? So yes, let's talk about that. And I'm also going to give you um, some tips on time management because you mentioned that you were impressed on my ability to find time to do all the things that I do. And I have some thoughts on that, that I think could be helpful for some people listening. But first, as far as your question, I am always watching the NFL with an eye towards technique, skill sets, and body types that work at positions. And I'm constantly thinking about the players that I have evaluated already, how they are performing versus my projection and asking myself why. And yes, that absolutely affects my process every year. So when I'm watching a football game, you know, I'm watching it because I love it and I enjoy it and I probably have a rooting interest in it, but I'm also watching dozens and dozens of players that I evaluated. And so I am constantly taking inventory of what they're doing on the field If they're being successful, why, why not? Thinking about the things that I wrote about them and then adjusting the things that I value and allowing that to impact the way I grade players. So yes, absolutely all the time, always on the forefront of my mind. Now let's talk a little bit about time management um, because that is something that I struggled with for a long, long time, I mean years. And I feel like in the last year, I have really found my groove as it relates to time management. And so let me tell you some of my strategies. And a lot of these stem from a book that I read by Craig Ballantyne that's called The Perfect Day Formula. And here are some of those principles that I adopted to my daily routine that allows me to be very effective with my time. And because of that, I have a lot of time available for my family and for hobbies and things that I want to do. So, my number one objective every day is that within 15 minutes of waking up that I'm working on the most important task that I have that day. So, within 15 minutes I wake up and within 15 minutes I want to be working on whatever the most important thing that I have to work on that day. So, my alarm goes off at 5:30 a.m., I'm at my desk at 5:45 a.m. And so in that 15 minutes, I get up, I use the restroom, I let the dogs out, make a cup of coffee, and I'm sitting down working on whatever the most important thing that I have to do is by 545 a.m. And my most productive stretch of work every single day is 5:45 a.m. to 8 a.m. Why? Because there's no distractions. Nobody's bothering me. I'm not getting phone calls. Social media is quiet. And so I'm able to get stuff done. And when you get that head start every single day, it enables you to absorb the inevitable chaos that comes with the day. And you can absorb those curveballs a lot easier when you've had a running start and you've been productive for a couple hours before any of that even becomes a possibility. So that's first and foremost. And then I plan out my entire day the day before. And I assign the amount of time needed for every single task. So my workday is, is completely mapped out every single day. And this is being mindful of something called Parkinson's Law, which is the old adage that work expands to fill the time allotted. So to make that more simple to understand, the amount of work required adjusts to the time available for its completion. I can make writing an article take an hour, I can make it take two hours. I can make it take three hours. People work to the amount of time allotted for a task. And so by planning out your day and assigning time limits for everything that you're going to do, it's going to allow you to be the most productive that you can be. And so with that in mind, I am done working every single day by about 4 p.m., usually a lot earlier on a Friday. And so I work a 10-hour day. And in that 10-hour day from basically you know, 5.45 to 4, I have a writing block, I have a film block, I have a podcasting block, I have a meeting-slash-lunch-slash-planning block where I take time to you know, do our daily meeting at the Draft Network, eat lunch, and then obviously plan my day for tomorrow. And then I have an exercise block. And so within that 10-hour stretch, I'm able to very easily get all those things done because I've planned it out. And then after four o'clock, when I'm done for the day, it's all about my wife. It's all about my daughter being present around the house, doing stuff together, playing with the dogs, playing in the backyard, going for walks, whatever, whatever the, whatever the girls want to do. That's what we do. And so with effective planning and time management, you're not spending that time that you should be focused on your family. Thinking about work and what you have to do the next day, or what you need to do when they go to sleep because you didn't finish, because you didn't have a great plan, and you didn't get started early enough. So, I'm very guarded of my time as I've adopted these principles and my production, my time management, my time with my family, my time for hobbies. Everything has been so much better. So, uh, there you go. That's what's been working for me. I know everyone's got different dynamics and situations in their life, but. Me embracing those principles has changed the course of my productivity and the way that my days look and the ways that my weeks look, and it's been wonderful. And I encourage you guys to find that rhythm for yourself because, man, being able to focus on what you need to focus on when you need to focus on it is great. The next one comes from Ryan who says, I have a scenario for you. Time is running out for Coach Marino's bills, down by six and only – with enough time to score on the kickoff, things seem bleak. The team's special teams coordinator, Vontae davis did it at halftime, so trickery is out. Luckily, the director of player personnel just gave Coach Marino his latest recruitment tool, a time machine capable of pulling any Bills returner from history for that kickoff. Who you got? My personal pick would be Terrence McGee. He always gave me butterflies whenever he was back there. So the answer, absolutely, is Terrence McGee, the best kick returner in Buffalo Bills history. He's the one that I want as my one chance at a uh, kick return for a touchdown here. So some fun facts on Terrence McGee. He holds five Buffalo Bills franchise records. Here they are. Most career kickoff return yards with 5,450. Most career kickoff return touchdowns with five. The longest kickoff return touchdown at 104 yards. He has the most career fumble return yards, and he has the most passes defended with 99. So Terrence McGee, a total stud in the history of the Buffalo Bills, and absolutely my choice in this scenario. Did you guys know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They've got coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, cookies and cream, orange, strawberry, and salted caramel, and... They're all delicious. My favorite is probably the cookies and cream, but I've been really enjoying the orange bars lately. But listen, maybe you don't know where to start. You want to try these flavors, but you're not sure which one to get. You can try a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors, so it's an awesome place to start. And not only are built Bars amazing in terms of taste, but they're healthy for you. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. There's only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty, and they're all healthy. So I've got a deal for you. Go to BiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and it'll get you 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BiltBar.com.
2: They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: The next one today comes from David, who says, if Cole Beasley manages to tweet himself out of a job and assuming no trades or free agent pickups, how would you restructure the wide receiver room? So first of all, I encourage anyone who has a concern about Cole Beasley and his tweets to listen to the first eight minutes of yesterday's podcast where I addressed that situation. But let's embrace the idea that for some reason, Cole Beasley is not on the team. How would I restructure the wide receiver room? Well, I think you first look to Isaiah McKenzie as the slot receiver in that role. And I think you give a serious look to Tanner Gentry, who had a ton of production with Josh Allen at Wyoming in 2016. Now, he hasn't done a thing in the NFL, but I think that's your guy that you'd look to as a potential option for that role and see what happens. Um, I think Marquez Stevenson kind of takes on the Isaiah McKenzie role, and I think that's how you restructure things. Next one today comes from Will, who says, I've been thinking that even without the media putting the perception that Cole Beasley is on his way out of Buffalo – He's going to be 33, and on the last year of his deal after this season, and the Bills could save money by cutting him after this year. This is where I think and hope Dawson Knox takes a step forward. As you say, the Bills offense is wide receiver focused, so the tight end isn't going to demand 100 targets or push for top yards, but I think Dawson can fill in as that third down go-to target like Cole last year. I would love to hear your take on what role Dawson Knox could fill to be considered a successful draft pick. So in my mind for Dawson Knox as a third round pick to be a successful draft pick, this is what comes to mind. It's consistency. I'm not looking for a certain number of catches or, or targets. Just be consistent. Show that you can stay healthy first and foremost. That's been an issue for him, but hit blocks when you're supposed to catch the football consistently when you're supposed to. And if he does those things, I mean, the guy gets open. The guy makes dynamic plays after the catch. He puts himself in really good spots to catch the football, just finish more. And I think that can happen. And at the end of the day, he's a third round pick developmental starter type player. So put it all together this year, but you know, he's been, he's been asked to be the Bills' starting tight end since he's walked into the building. Now, on your point about Cole Beasley and the cap savings and all that, uh, yes, the Bills can save $6.1 million against the cap in 2022 with a, an accumulation of $1.5 million in dead cap space if they move on from Cole Beasley. You know, one thing that you can do is extend him. That's a way to kind of move around some of that cap and save some money next year, but also have Cole Beasley. Here's the thing that I would get concerned about. If we think Emmanuel Sanders is on a one-year type situation where he's probably not going to be on the team after this year, and Cole Beasley is a cut candidate, and Beasley and Sanders are likely two and three on the team in targets this year, are you really going to say goodbye to those two pieces of your offense in one offseason? You're going to say goodbye to the second and third most targeted player on the offense? That would concern me. And that's a little bit why I was pounding the table for the Bills to draft a receiver early last year. You know, you heard me talking about Elijah Moore as an option because you wanted to kind of get that guy in the building now so that way you have these types of options without having to ask these types of questions. So that's where I get hung up on it. I'd rather extend Cole Beasley than think about cutting him after the year. The next one today comes from Darren who says, do you think Tua has the arm strength to get the ball down the field to the speedy receivers the Miami Dolphins have newly acquired? Or do you think the Miami receivers are like ours, meaning they are good route runners and can separate from coverage? I guess the real question is, how do you think they will use their wide receivers? So I think they're probably really excited to add Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell to this mix. And both of them are capable of creating separation and getting down the field and winning down the field. And, they're more in line with what Tua had in college, where he was throwing the ball to Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy. So last year he had, what, Devonte Parker and Preston Williams and these big, towering, big-bodied guys. And so now they got him players that are more like what worked for him at Alabama. So Waddle and Fuller are both field stretchers, guys that can get vertical, stress the secondary deep and really affect the way that defenses line up against you. And so that should open up the deep passing game, but also when you have big-bodied guys like Preston Wilson and Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki, it gives them room to operate in the underneath areas. So I really like the makeup of this group, and it should give Tua what he needs to take a big step this year if he can do it. And so I think the thing about Tua and throws down the field It comes down to a willingness from him. He was a good vertical passer in college when he pulled the trigger, but there's this narrative out there that he's averse to doing that. And he doesn't want to push the ball down the field. At least last year, it certainly seemed that way. And maybe he's more healthy this year being further removed from the hip injury. He's more comfortable, all those things. And he'll throw it with more enthusiasm down the field, but the accuracy wasn't an issue in college at least. So Young man's got what he needs this year. Ton of speed, ton of size in that receiving core. The Miami Dolphins have the most expensive wide receiver core in the NFL. So go do it, Tua. Go prove that you can be the guy this year. He's got what he needs. Todd says, listening to a lot of roster speculation got me wondering about designation of wide receivers and tight ends. As we have an abundance of talent in the wide receiver room and as many questions about our tight ends, why couldn't we consider them simply as playmakers? Now, this doesn't apply to everyone, but players on the bubble of making the team like Jake Kumaro or Isaiah Hodgins and Tommy Sweeney, what's the real difference other than blocking in size? Are Hollister and Sweeney that much better blocking than Kumaro? Because I think he's a much better playmaker. That said, how would you rank our wide receivers and tight ends on a list solely based on playmaking? So, first of all, I do think that there is a major difference in body type and utilization between tight ends and wide receiver that I think the designation is important. You you can't put Isaiah Hodgins or Jake Kumaro on the line of scrimmage and ask him to block a defensive end. That's going to go poorly. So you do need players that are tight ends and you need players that are wide receivers because, like you said, it is it is blocking and it is size, but that's a big deal in terms of what you're going to ask that player to do. So as for your request for me to rank the wide receivers and tight ends on a list solely based on playmaking. Here you go. Number one, Stephon Diggs. Number two, Cole Beasley. Number three, Emmanuel Sanders. Number four, Dawson Knox. Number five, Isaiah McKenzie. Number six, Gabriel Davis. Number seven, Jacob Hollister. And then I'll be honest with you, you have this massive group of Isaiah Hodgins, Tommy Sweeney, Marquez Stevenson. They're probably a tier up, right? Like that's probably your next tier. And then it's like Duke Williams, Brandon Powell, Tanner Gentry, Jake Kummerow, Lance Lenore. And then it's probably Nate Becker, Reggie Gilliam, and Quinton Morris. So that's how I would rank them up uh, in terms of just playmaking ability. All right, folks, we did it. That's herd mentality. I appreciate everyone who sent in a question. I always love doing this show. You guys always come up with some awesome stuff to talk about. Tomorrow we're probably going to get into some of the day one training camp stuff. The Bills are going to practice I'm sure we'll hear from some of the players and coaches. So we're going to get into that tomorrow on the podcast. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.